This is TDPS. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And Eric and I aren't just podcasters. And bitches. That's right. We're also authors. And you can buy all of our books at www.thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv and wherever ebooks are sold. At thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv, you can check out my Right Murder mystery series. Or sample my Burning Girl thrillers. The best part is, the more you buy our books, the less likely we'll end up filling the spot with an annoying ad for a napkin that counts your calories. The TDPS Network, alienating potential advertisers one promo at a time. Hi, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shockwell. And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. And we're doing another True Crime TV Club today. Love True Crime TV Club. It's my favorite thing. And did, was it your favorite thing last time we did it? Because it was not really our I favorite. I love True Crime TV Club. So you do? Even when the shows are shows that I didn't like, I still love True Crime TV show, TV Club. Because it's just, like, the thing that was such so great about the idea to begin with, we should have mentioned this last week, was that... We realized we would be doing it anyway. Mm-hmm. Like there was no way that I was not going to be able to do, watch all these true crime TV shows anyway. So why wouldn't we share them with our friends? Yeah, totally. Um, and turns out they like listening to us talk about them. But like we would be talking about true crime TV shows anyway. Yes, indeed. That was where the idea came from. Indeed. It's like, as long as we're going to talk about it anyway. I had a brownie before we started, so I'm just going to nap for a little bit, if that's cool. Yeah, I'm sure that won't have any impact <laughs> on the, um, the podcast whatsoever, especially mm-hmm. since I asked you not to have any of the chocolate. <laughs> you told me, I'm just teasing you. And it's just a brownie brownie. It's not one of them cannabis brownies the young people are eating. Well, I was from my next-door neighbor, so it might well, be. Well, we're going to find out. We're going to find out. Did you like this episode of True Crime Television we're about to talk about, Eric I Sharpen? found it entertaining. <laughs> it was really one of the... It was like, wow, okay. Um, if like, you... Times they have changed, haven't indeed. they? Indeed. And so have a lot of things about houses. Okay. If you are listening and you like... To read ahead, if you're that student, we're going to be talking about an episode of a show called A Crime to Remember. We've featured them before. The episode is entitled Guess Who? It's season four, episode six. And um, But the standard disclaimer applies. You don't need to watch the episode because we run our mouths about it so much, you'll walk away feeling like you yeah, did. Yeah, spoiler alert. Spoiler. That's what we ought to call it. Spoil, two Crime Spoiler Club. Two Crime Spoiler true Club? True Crime TV Spoiler Club. Was that a little Cajun accent I heard creeping in at the edge of your cadence there? Was it? I don't know. Am I, sometimes when I get tired, things start to come back. The old ways. The old <laughs> The old country. <laughs> The old Baya. The old heck. All right. Los Angeles, California, 1922. Oh, it's starting. It's like Dragnet in this room. Absolutely. Reenactor cops, as I call them, discover a man dead in his front parlor and a woman crying out for help upstairs. Yeah, one of the things about... True crime, uh, about crime to remember is that there's some performative element. Oh, and not only do they do a lot of reenactments, spoken reenactments, which are my least favorite. But they do a point of view thing. They make up a character each time to be like the narrator voiceover. It's just really. Life was hard in 1922 if you weren't into gin joints and, you know, like, it was like, okay, that's a thing we're going to do again on this show. Just so that you know. Christopher recommended, found, and picked this particular show. So <laughs> that's because, d- despite what he says, Christopher cause... secretly likes all this shit. No, that's because I knew you were fond of this show. I actually think A Crime to Remember does a better job than a lot of them. They really do. Yeah. The wigs aren't horrible. The costumes are reasonable. <laughs> it always comes down to the wigs with the you. The wigs. Oh my God. Sometimes <laughs> it's just like. Did you get that on a Halloween sale at that the right age? <laughs> like, Halloween. where did you get that wig? Um, yeah, yeah. Sometimes they no. These were reasonably well presented, and they did okay. And the thing that they don't do is ask the recreators, the reenactors, to bring back deep emotions or 
heartfelt mm. acting. They no. just they will just say a thing. Well, I don't know what you mean by that, or something like that. That'll be it, and it's them in costume saying that, so that it furthers things along. It creates an atmosphere without relying on their acting abilities, which I wouldn't expect no. are much. And I always love to play were the real people more attractive or less attractive? Because it used to go without saying that the real people were uh, less attractive, and Hollywood put this gloss on everybody. But we'll we'll have a reveal at the end of this one, and yeah. it's like, oh, okay, Los Angeles, California. Enough with this banter. Enough with the chit chat. Let's get right into this this uh, cheesy cheese fest. Los Angeles, California, nineteen twenty-two. Oh, reenactor cops. I'm, I'm starting at the top because oh, I just feel God. like I got thrown off. All right. All right. Reenactor cops discover a man dead in his front parlor and a woman crying out for help upstairs. Deja vu. The woman's locked in a closet. They question her, and she says she and her husband got home from a party two hours ago. Another thing that's great about a crime to remember, especially if you're me taking the notes for the show, they interview way less people than most of these shows do. Oh, yeah. Because everyone's dead. And they're just <laughs> moving things along. So Glenn Martin is the executive director for the Los Angeles Police Museum, and I think they also indicate he's a retired detective himself. He's one of our interview subjects. He tells us the woman is named Walberta Ostrike, and she goes by the name Dolly. Thank God. I know. She's the husband of the victim, and she claims that when she went to hang up her fur stole in the closet, because this was a time when you could wear fur stoles without, without people throwing red paint right, on Right, exactly. She was shoved into the closet and locked inside. So it may have predated the red paint. It may have been a, an anti-fur assault, but probably not. It's probably still not. 1922, and yeah, they're like killing animals just, you know, whenever they, it occurs to them. <laughs> they don't have television yet, so they kill a lot more animals. Um, downstairs, Detective Klein takes in the crime scene, and then we meet our next talking head in this special, and it's Karen Kilgariff from My Favorite Murder. Yay! <laughs> Karen Kilgariff. Um, she's a very important figure in the true crime podcasting genre. So Is she? Just, yeah. Oh, yeah. You've listened to her podcast. I made you listen to a couple episodes. <laughs> I held you down. At first. I, I passed out. Yeah, I didn't you, hear anything. You were in the car. You I were didn't distracted. realize that was that was. Yeah, her. she's one half of My Favorite Murder. Okay. Cool. The room of the house where the body was found is a total mess. Fred is middle-aged and has been shot twice in the chest, once in the head, and there's a bullet in the ceiling. They find two casings nearby for a 25 caliber handgun. Gary Gibson, who is And there's a Felix the Cat hole in the wall. <laughs> And the Roadrunner. And the Roadrunner outline smashed through the wall. Like, yeah, it's really like, yeah, it's a pretty wacky crime scene. It's uh -huh. like, what the hell? Gary Gibson, deputy public defender from San Diego, California, is our next interview subject. He says, he tells us a gun was not recovered from the scene, but they noticed that the chain of Fred's pocket watch is broken and the watch is missing. Dolly describes it to them as being octagonal and diamond studded and says she gave it to him as a gift when they lived in Milwaukee. They moved to L.A., it turns out, four years ago to open an apron factory. They ran a big garment factory in Milwaukee. Did they make more than aprons in Milwaukee, or were they apron-specific? You know, like, this was sweatshop-specific, so <laughs> I think they made whatever they could turn a hand to and a profit from, but, yeah, uh, yeah this was... It was, yeah, this, these seemed like kind of maybe just a little bit disreputable. Yeah. Like, uh, but, but, but the standards of the day, perfectly legal. Perfectly legitimate. One child went over dead Business at the separation. stand, you just replaced him with another one. That's correct. And there were more children here, so they moved here because it was warmer and the children lasted longer. <laughs> it's horrible. Some of the glimpses into history we get are horrible here. At uh, True Crime TV Club. All right. Or pretty much anywhere you look into history. Like <laughs> History is horrible. The good old days were, uh, were an illusion of the current times. Um, we're introduced now to our fake narrator character or our fake characters, possibly an employee of the garment factory who has a lilting Barbara Sue. Who knows southern what her name accent. is. But, yeah, she's... She worked. She moved with them from Milwaukee, and she is this... She reminded me of... The dead wife on Desperate Housewives. <laughs> That's right. She had that kind of tone of voice. It may have even been her. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, it had that kind of quality. And the narrator for this series usually does have that kind mm -hmm. of, I can't remember what her name was, something Sue. Um, uh, I didn't get her name. Uh, from, no, from True, from oh, Desperate, Desperate Housewives. Oh, Desperate Housewives, yeah. And I forgot her name. They did give it 
regularly. Mary yeah. Sue, Mary Ellen, I can't I don't remember. know. Um, Dolly says that she and Fred have been married for over 20 years. She's talking to the police now. Well, they had been. Um, <laughs> had been. That's correct, because now Fred is dead. Fred is like dead on the living room rug, so <laughs> that's sort of the count has stopped. <laughs> Fred has amassed, had amassed a fortune close to $7 million in today's dollars. It's a lot of money. Because you don't have to pay those little kids in your sweatshop hardly anything. And if they die before they get their paycheck, well. Because welcome to 1922. Money they've saved. Yeah, he was terrible. It was a terrible operation. They were awful. Yeah, Dolly says there have been two attempted burglaries at their home in the middle of the night, and Fred heard odd noises and said steaks would go missing from the icebox. <laughs> Picnic baskets. <laughs> <laughs> There's that Felix the cat again. Right? Into the Yogi icebox. Bear crawled in through the Felix-shaped hole in the wall and stole a picnic basket and a plate of steaks out of the icebox, which really was an icebox, probably but no- 1922. Nothing else has been taken, including Fred's wallet, which is found inches from the chain of the stolen watch. So the police naturally assume that Dolly and Fred interrupted a burglary. Neighbors confirm that there were multiple attempted break-ins in the last year. And one neighbor in particular on the night of the murder said she heard gunshots and a woman's voice yelling, Fred, oh, Fred. That's my woman's voice yelling. I don't know. Maybe need to adjust that setting. It sounded like they were having really hot sex. I'm sorry. I just got sex on the brain. Uh, watches, pocket watches do that to me. I'm, particularly the octagonal diamond studded mm, type. Get me an octagon. Mm, maybe. She saw the neighbor now, saw a shadow crossing to the back of the house, and 15 minutes later, the lights go out. The question for the cops now is why would burglars stay on the scene for 15 to 20 minutes after the murder? They wanted some steaks. I'm telling you, they were bad. They were they had to and they had to cook them this time because right? <laughs> they had them raw last time. And they were not as good. <laughs> it was not nearly as good. But they figured with everybody locked in the closet, what the hell? Let's <laughs> let's throw these cookies on the grill. And because I was apparently paying a lot of attention, we're now in L.A. in 1992, according to my notes. <laughs> yes. No, we're not. This, this case really dragged out. <laughs> Seventy years later. The Hollywood sign is about to be put up, and the movies are about to get more outrageous in 1992. Doc Hollywood is on the way. No, it's still 1929, or I don't what It's the 20s, 1922. Um, Dolly only becomes a suspect if she had a co-conspirator, because she was in that friggin' closet on right, the second like floor. How do you get around that? That whole um, alibi of the being locked in the closet. It's right. the perfect alibi. Nobody could possibly have committed a murder and be found locked in a closet, even though they were not necessarily <laughs> in the closet at the time of the murder, and there's no way to prove that they were. Neighbors, so she basically has no alibi, but I know. apparently the police <laughs> think <laughs> so. Like, well, well. How did she lock? Maybe she couldn't lock herself in the closet. Is that how it they worked? tried? The police officer actually went in the closet and tried to lock himself inside and, and could not. And I really loved that that was the thing that he did. <laughs> that was his exploration of how to deal with the crime. You'll see why that's ironic as yes. this story unfolds. All right. Uh, there was no evidence of an affair. According- ironic? Is it ironic? I guess it's unexpected. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's ironic. Can you focus, please? We have a really boring crime story to talk about. I need you to bring it in. History is boring. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the dinner party show, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right, at Facebook.com slash The Dinner Party Show. No, I meant in the car. Hi, I'm Eric Shaw Quinn, and I'd like to take a moment to congratulate my co-host and producing partner, Christopher Rice. He's got not one, but four new books coming out in 2022. 
but today I'd like to tell you about one in particular, a standalone thriller called Decimate. It's the terrifying story of what happens to our kitchen here at the studio um, when I ask Christopher to make the tea. Y- yeah, no. When I said improvise the promo, I didn't say you could make shit up. I am not making this up. Look at that kitchen. Okay. Hi, party people. Decimate is actually a thriller about telekinesis and near-death experiences, the page-turning tale of a woman who becomes convinced her brother is being held hostage by a supernatural force following his death in a fiery plane crash. It has nothing to do with tea or our kitchen, and you can pre-order it on Amazon now. And while it is spine-tingling and terrifying, it is nothing compared to what I'm going to have to order off of Amazon to clean up that kitchen. Will you shut up about tea and our kitchen? Oh, I never shut up about tea. So it's rash generalization day here at the... Here at Christopher and Eric presents TBS or We've established TV Club or whatever it is we were presenting. That history is boring. That was how we went out before our last right. break. All right. So get back to this story. All right. Fred is shaping up to be kind of a jackass. Like, not a lot of people like him. He's a difficult character. He's said to have been a little paranoid given how rich he was. Oh, the dead guy. Yeah, the dead guy. Is I was that like, why I was getting the I face? I was like, Fred? Yeah, Fred. Oh, the dead guy. Yeah, he's really not shaping up to be anything. He's dead. Yes. But it turns out he was also kind of a jerk. Dolly hires an attorney named Herman Shapiro, and they turn over all of Fred's personal and business papers to the police. And the cops allegedly don't find anything of meaning. So they bring in his old plant manager, Harry Vost, from Milwaukee to give a truthful depiction. Harry says uh, Fred was a drunk and a holy terror and impossible to work for. And he says it got worse after Raymond died because it turns out he and Dolly had a son who died. Uh, Harry also goes on to describe Dolly as the caretaker of the Why is that funny? Because that's a significant fact in this story. I've all, that was such an outlier weird thing oh, for them to report no, that. No, I'll, I'll explain what I think it Okay. He describes Dolly. This is Harry again, the former plant manager from Milwaukee. He says Dolly was the caretaker of the staff. She treated them like the children she didn't have. That's your underline. That, that's yes. your reason for. Yeah. And now we have a forensic uh, psychologist who's introduced an interview form to say crushingly obvious things and give them the patina of medical credibility. Um, Harry remembers a guy. <laughs> That's dismissive day. What is wow. the rash? Rash generalization <laughs> yeah. day continues in force. Harry remembers a guy Fred had some trouble with. It turns out that uh, Dolly and Fred liked to take care of sort of um, ex-cons. They would give him a job and a second chance, but they got a little too close to one guy named Edward Flood. And he actually lived with them for a while. Really wanted more about this story. So really a little too close, Yeah. Huh? He was released. Uh, no, he, he stopped living with them. They had a falling out. He would threaten them and call the house. Then he went to prison, and he was released later, and he disappeared. They try to find uh, him, and they can't. <laughs> the end. The end. <laughs> it's a deep, multi-level story. Tell you, it's really like <laughs> it just keeps. It's like the the, the veritable onion. Well. If it's been chopped and sautéed, anyway. Okay, now this is when I want to get my my academics hat on, even though I'm not an academic, and say, did it really happen this way, or did they script a reenactment to make it look like it happened this way? Because the way they show it happening is the detectives notice in the courthouse one day that Shapiro, Dolly's lawyer, is walking around with Fred's stolen watch hanging from a chain in his pocket, and they're like... Hey, Shapiro, you want to come into my office for a little bit and chat? And he's like, sure, I'm a lawyer, you're a cop, we chat all the time. He goes into the office and the detective's like, where'd you get that octagonal diamond-studded watch that's you know doesn't match its chain currently? And he's like... Um, oh, it was a gift from Dolly. It was a gift from Dolly. And since he actually had only met Dolly since what's-his-name died, since mm-hmm. Fred... Yeah. The, the odious Fred mm-hmm. had died. Um, I think that's probably pretty close to what happened because he would have had no reason to conceal it because he didn't know that it was Fred's. Yeah. We're also now a couple months after the murder and like no progress seems to be being made. It's 1992. It's now, it's now 2004. <laughs> it's, now, it's, it's only, it's like two decades later or four. Um, 
and uh, no, it's really just a couple of months later. But yeah, he's she's hired him subsequent to Fred's death, and so he didn't know it was Fred's watch, and she just gave it to him as a present. Right. Okay. So it turns out Dolly has been dating a movie producer named Ray Klum, who they knew from Milwaukee. He was close to them both, and they loaned him money. I was not clear when this dating happened. Were they having an affair when Fred was married? He was married. She would. Fred was alive. Excuse me. I think that it just we're established. It goes to character. Uh huh. I don't think they established a clear timeline for that, but I think they were trying to establish a a pattern of behavior. <laughs> yes, exactly. On okay. Dolly the slut's part, because <laughs> like- she's now sleeping with the lawyer and the movie producer, and yeah. Um, Clum tells the police that Probably a, Mr. Flood, who was living in their house. A, a, Clum tells the police that a few days after the murder, Dolly gave him a package that, quote, felt like the outline of a gun and told him to get rid of it for her. Not suspicious a bit. And here's the thing. If you're going to ask somebody to get rid of a gun that's possibly a murder weapon, make sure they have a good throwing arm. But... <laughs> Because my favorite part was they were in the park when she asked him to to get rid of it. Like, why couldn't she have just thrown it? (laughs) They weren't. We don't know that they were in a park because let's go walk across that bridge that crosses the the tar pits. But that was a reenactment. See, that's the thing about reenactments. We don't know that they met in a park. We don't know that any of that unfolded the way they show it unfolding. It's why it drives me crazy. I just don't know why she needed to ask somebody to dispose of the stupid gun that she could just have thrown in the position, gone to the. Santa Monica Pier and thrown in the ocean. And when you take into account how he disposed of the gun, he claims he threw it in the La Brea tar pits, but then it just turns out he threw He the, left it near. He threw it at the La Brea tar pits. There's no evidence that he threw anything. They, <laughs> they just go, find it on the banks. They the, go to search the La Brea tar pits, and it's sitting there on the dirt. It didn't even make contact with the tar. Like, at least if you're going to dispose of a murder weapon, make sure it meets tar. Make sure tar contact has been achieved. Right, because what we're here today is to advocate doing a better <laughs> job of committing the crime. Listen, when it was this long ago, we can be bigger bitches about it. I think that's why we like a crime. I'm sorry. Me. Was there something that didn't seem bitchy about what I just said? <laughs> Dolly is arrested. She, her story is this. She says she. I thought it was a sandwich. She says, I thought that was from Felix the cat. He was here earlier. <laughs> Um, she says she found the gun in the house after Fred died, and she wanted to get rid of it because she knew she would be the primary suspect. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, well, duh. Yeah. Um, and also, I think we left out this part because we were too busy being bitchy and giggling <laughs> about it. But when asked what the deal was with the watch that she had given her boyfriend, Mr. Shapiro, um, for, uh, she said, oh, she found it in the sofa cushions. Oh, that's pretty, okay. And that she just, that was why she just figured she would, you know, give it to the lawyer. Yeah, because sure, of course. it was just, there were too many painful memories connected to having that oh, watch. Oh, that's sweet. The DA still wants more evidence, though, and so the cops try to prove that she could have locked herself in the closet. Hence the uh, going in the closet that the with thing. that. But instead... In January of... Uh, 192025. <laughs> Sorry. Sometimes it's harder to focus when they're boring because there's like less to keep your mind See, occupied. This is what I mean. When they're terrible, it's really more, often more fun. <laughs> it's just like, okay, January of 25. Five years later. Five years later, the DA announces he doesn't have enough evidence to take Dolly to trial, so she's released. Now we're five years later. Shapiro, the lawyer, decides to visit the district attorney. Not clear why he suddenly had a change but of heart. But he's like, yeah, could I come by and uh, could we have a little chat? And it's like, uh, sure. What the hell? You're a lawyer. I'm a lawyer. We, we this is the sort of thing we do. We talk. Right. So go ahead. He claims um, that when <laughs> Dolly was arrested, she asked him for, quote, a strange favor. She wanted him could to you go. Dispose of this gun. <laughs> could you could you throw away this murder weapon in some actual tar? Just uh, not not just at. Tar. How's your throwing arm? Pal? You, you ever played baseball, Shapiro? No, she wants him to go to the grocery store, and buy a specific list of items, and take them to her house, which she's not in because she's been arrested. She's in jail because she's a murderer. She says that her half-brother is living there. He's come to visit, and he needs these groceries. So um, Shapiro goes to the house and says, I, I don't, there's no sign of your brother. 
is there a house brother? Uh, is, is your half brother in the house at all? And she says, okay, here's what you need to do. You need to go back to the house and he's in the attic and you need to scratch on the wall three, three times. times in a row. And the reenactor scratches. One, two, three scratches in a row. And then a door opens and a little man appears. <laughs> Who apparently the police didn't think to look for when they were lock, trying to lock themselves in a closet. They didn't ever search the attic because guess what? This man has been living there the whole time. He is white and small and looks like he's in his 30s and his name is Otto Sanhuber. And he was there the night of the murder and the police did not bother to look around the house so they didn't find him. I just and cannot believe it. If her boyfriend, lawyer, hadn't come in to tell them, they would never have known he was there. And uh, guess what? Otto is her boyfriend, too. That's why he's living in the attic. He's her lover, and they got together in Milwaukee he's before they moved. not her half-brother. Bum, bum, bum. He grew up as an orphan, and he met Dolly in 1911. At the time, he was a teenager in Fred's factory. Dolly likes to sew at home, so Otto was sent to repair the machine, and she answered the door in a silk robe and black stockings and nothing else, which was a really uncomfortable reenactment we had to sit through. They bang. They have sex eight to ten times a day. Wow. So Otto is somebody we'd all like to meet. <laughs> Clearly. Like, wow, Otto. That's impressive. Uh, I'm home all day tomorrow. Wait. Wait. You don't... <laughs> oh, my God. Um but she's worried about the neighbors seeing him. She's apparently not worried about the neighbors hearing any of this because they're going to town in the bedroom all day. So she convinces him to move into her attic. This is in Milwaukee. This is attic one. He moves into two different attics for Dolly. Uh, he turns into her housekeeper and sex toy, essentially. And when Fred comes home, he goes up to the attic, reads, and writes stories. Isn't that sweet? This continues for six years. Otto is described as basically a loveless orphan, and he's drinking up her affection and attention. Which six years are we talking about? So it was four years in... L.A. and two years in Milwaukee. This started in Milwaukee. But then there's five more years while we're waiting for the lawyer to so come in and tell us... So he lives alone in the attic for five years. Apparently had a real strong right hand, too. So is that... But that's 11... We're now up to nine years yeah. plus two years, so now we're now up to 11 years, right? Well, it's, I have in my notes, which are not to be trusted, seven years into the romance is when Fred wants to move to L.A. So um, six years in Milwaukee before they or six, Oh, my God. Seven years. So nine years here. So 17 years totally or 18 years total. He's lived in the yeah. fucking attic. So I've. I've there, yeah. Yeah. Because he was still in the attic, right? Right, he's still in the attic. And so Fred, the attempted Husband break- Husband dead, but he's still living in the attic. The attempted break-ins, the noises, the missing stakes, he's all Otto. midnight snack yeah. for Otto. And meanwhile, Dolly is literally gaslighting her husband. She's like, I just must be burglars. I, there couldn't possibly be a little man staying in the attic that I bang eight times a day. That's not it. Eating Whatever her steaks, that couldn't possibly be it. Otto tells Shapiro, and Otto is just singing like a bird, meanwhile, because the lawyer brought him food and scratched the wall. All you have to do is scratch three times, and Otto will and confess Otto to will anything. Otto will tell you anything. Yeah, he's, he's got a lot to say. Otto tells Shapiro that in the, in the months leading up to this, there were multiple break-ins, and that when Fred and Dolly went out at night, he'd act as a guard. So Otto's trying to support the break-in story. So doesn't Otto go to Canada and get married and have children? Did uh, that happen already no, by the time he no. talks to the police, or is that later? I don't know. We should we should consult my notes because the timeline has been so solid. Okay, I'm sure I'll tell you accurately. In, in 1972. In 19, that was the 70s. That's right. He claims Fred and Dolly came home from a party. This is the night of the murder now. Oh, here's what actually happened. Yeah. He was drunk, and Otto was afraid Fred was hurting Dolly, so he ran down to confront Fred, and he claims Dolly was on the floor because Fred had attacked her. And then Fred lunged at him, and Otto killed him in self-defense. 
Which is how we wound up with the bullet in the ceiling because they were struggling over the gun. So she and Otto hatched the whole plane, I said in my notes, staged the scene, lock her in the closet. But even in the months that follow, Dolly doesn't move Otto downstairs. That right. was the detail. That was the thing that I was, I just really was yeah. like, really? Even though the husband is dead, he continues sure. living in the attic for a long time. You're my attic side piece, she says. You don't, I need to keep, we need to stay in your attic. And meanwhile, she beget, continues to see the producer and the lawyer. So Shapiro helps move him out of the house. We're back to the moment she sent Shapiro over. And he moves to Canada and he gets married. When does that happen? I don't remember. And I don't think they were abundantly clear, to be honest. I think this has happened by the time Shapiro has gone to the DA to tell the whole story. You know, it doesn't sound like a lot of time elapsed. It sounds like Shapiro had thoughts and opinions like, Otto, we need to get you in a better situation than this. Because Dolly's in jail. And there, I guess she was there for a while. So if he was hanging around for Dolly. But not for the whole five years. She was just in jail until they let her out. Yeah, right. Yeah. Absolutely. And he didn't tell until five years later. So because he was, you know, a lawyer scorned. Yeah. So they, they track him down in Canada. After they hear the after the DA hears this story from Shapiro, they track him down in Canada and they find that he is married with children. Eric. Yes, Christopher. Are you sick of doing promos for my new books yet? That depends. Are we at the beach? Yes, we're at Sapphire Cove, the fictional Southern California resort featured in my new gay romance series coming in 2022. This is alarming. When did we go outside? You were transported by the powerful prose of C. Travis Rice. That's my new pen name devoted to steamy and emotional tales of romance between men. Yeah, no, that's not it. I was about to eat a sandwich in the studio, and now I'm being harassed by seagulls. Brandon, get rid of the seagulls, please. Oh, that's much better. Now I have to pee. First, pre-order your copy of Sapphire Sunset, the first installment in the Sapphire Cove series, which goes on sale March 1st, 2022, from Blue Box Press, when a new member of the resort security department falls hard for the nephew of the wealthy family that owns the place, sparks fly, and sexy scandal ensues at Sapphire Cove. Uh, yeah, could you pre-order that for me? I'm going to run to the little podcaster's room. Brandon! Come get this seagull! I can't help it if my writing sets the scene. I know what I'm gonna set if someone doesn't come get this seagull! Where'd you get that sandwich? Sapphire Sunset, the first book in the Sapphire Cove series from C. Travis Rice. Now available for pre-order. Eric. Yes, Christopher? Have you been to my website lately? Why would I go to your website? You're sitting right here. Well, it's the place to find out all about my new books. Why would I go to your website for that? Again, you're sitting right here. All right. Well, for people who aren't right here, ChristopherRiceBooks.com is a great place to get information about my new releases. Which you'll give me copies of because I'm sitting right here. Yeah, maybe. But for those who aren't currently sitting in our studio on the Sunset Strip, check out my website, sign up for my mailing list, and check out all the posts on my blog where I talk smack about Eric Shaw Quinn. What smack? Shut up and read this new book I wrote. Fuck that and fuck ChristopherRiceBooks.com. This ad did not go as planned. This was an ad? So the story hits the press. The Los Angeles police and DA's office have At found least Otto. the story. <laughs> and the press, At least the press. The press. Also, the fan was involved. The press calls him Batman because... <laughs> because they didn't have such a thing back then, and it, that didn't mean what it means now. <laughs> if you see him, he is not a Batman. No, he's just living in the attic, like a bat would. A bat would live in the attic. And this is one of those details that I'm reminded of Gina Rowden's comment from our last episode, finding out how criminal law worked in different periods of history. Wow. The statute of limitations the on manslaughter. There was a statute of limitations for manslaughter. And it was wow. three years. Yeah. So, like, you know, as long as you can, like, stay in Azusa for, uh, <laughs> you know, hold your breath and stay in Azusa for a little while. Uh. For 72 months, you can uh, kill anybody you want to. Dolly goes on trial, but the case ends in a hung jury. 
In the end, a title card tells us that Dolly married some guy named Raybert Hendrick at the age of 80 after he'd been her partner for 30 years, and she died two weeks later. One wondered if he lived in the attic. So immediately, I'm thinking right at the end, I'm like, I wonder, wow, Dolly must have just been the hottest thing on two legs to manipulate all these people, all these men into doing her bidding. And even and your a- friend said something about it, right? Didn't Karen say something? The woman who was narrating on the her. show. I just like her. We're not. I wish we were friends, but well, I don't you know really what I mean. Karen. Yeah. But the woman on the show said that yeah. it was like an enviable property because she yeah. was able to get people to dispose of weapons and lie to the police and live in the yeah. attic and just do whatever she fucking well wanted them to. But she was man. She was she Matta Harry of 1922's Los Angeles. But then Karen adds in in her interview, and she wasn't a beauty queen. And I thought, oh, that can't be possible. So I sit there waiting for, and I think they do this at all the specials. They show you the actor and then the real person. Yes. And I'm thinking, wow, Otto must have just been the hottest thing on two legs. Oh, oh my no. God! No, he no. was not. No, he was not. And then they get to her, and it was like, what? <laughs> How did she get all those? I mean, she's perfectly fine, but like, manipulative femme fatale. She was not. Karen she was, was not. not lying. She was not lying. She was, you know, perfectly nice looking lady, but very average and very sort of housefrau. And yeah, like there was. She was not like. Oh yeah, she's got everybody wrapped around her fingers. I know, like she did, but uh, it wasn't immediately apparent. The thing that you can't see in that picture <laughs> was what all the other women in Los Angeles looked like <laughs> in 1922. <laughs> and what you can't see in the picture is what all the other sewing people at the factory looked right. like in Milwaukee. I just listen. I think it would murder aside and and infidelity aside. I think it would be nice to have a little attic sex person. I think that could be fun as long as everybody was consenting. Yeah, but, like you could probably they probably make one that's electronic now. You just hit a button, it comes springing out like a Roomba, it comes flying out of the wall and has it off with you, and then sails back upstairs and it's self cleaning. <laughs> Pulls into its little pool of uh, lube remover and, you know, it's ready to go again in 20 minutes. Will someone please call our product development division? Shea Butters, please send a message to product development at TDBS headquarters. Right, for uh, attic boyfriends. Okay, but this. I have a question for you, Eric. Did you feel like we were missing huge pieces of this story? Or did you think, this? yeah, this this is fucked up. This is the whole thing. I just really felt like there was less here than meets the eye. (laughs) You know what I mean? It was just, it was like, okay, well, that's what happened. Like, the police were just completely incompetent and almost useless. She was just, well, I just don't know what happened. And, you know, did whatever the hell she wanted to, pretty much the whole time and then oopsie yeah. it's a three-year um statute of limitations on manslaughter so never mind in fact <clears throat> i wasn't even sure what she was on trial for in the first place like yeah. wire fraud like i don't know like, <laughs> clock uh clock theft <laughs> Watch theft was the the statute of limit. There was no statute of limitations on watch theft, and the penalty was the chair back then. That that could also have been the case. It was yeah. It was definitely a very different world in which we lived. But like the idea to me that the police went to the house (laughs) on the night of the murder and there was somebody hiding in the attic and they didn't know it, but they spent time trying to lock themselves in a closet. (laughs) Is like wow! I just I don't even know yeah. quite what to make of right. of that. Maybe closets were much more va- more vast and mysterious than <laughs> they are today. But I'm not thinking so. Well, in L.A., closets used to be the size of master bedrooms. There was a law. There was a local ordinance. That's the closet rule. It was uh, no. I'm making this shit up. Attics? None of this is true. You mean no? Attics? I meant closets. Like maybe they got oh they God. confused no. the closet I've, in the attic. I've lived in apartments that were from 1922, yeah. and they don't have any closets at all. Totally. Well, yeah, this was. I think you know. I surprised you recently on a past episode. You know, what's one you wish you hadn't done? True Crime TV Club wise. This was one that I was just really. I thought this was a bore. Well, I was hoping that it was there was going to be more to it than this. There's, there was I, really nothing there. Everybody was kind of an idiot. She was particularly an idiot. Giving that guy the watch. Yeah. That she 
plot. Like, why even take the watch off the husband's body if she was just going to give it to somebody else? Like, I didn't even understand that detail. Maybe it was in the sub. Well, and they didn't make. I'm. This is what I'm tired of here at True Crime TV Club. This is what, what is I want to push back against. Like, there, if you can prove that a relationship was truly abusive, a marriage was truly abusive, okay, that's relevant. Those facts should be entered in. But I'm tired of the jilted, murderous spouse being given a platform to describe what a terrible person their spouse was. You fucking murdered him. If it was not in self-defense, like, you know, and I don't believe the story that Otto told one second that it was like, he was manhandling her. I don't believe that for a fucking second. The, I think they... They planned to kill him yeah. because they wanted the money and that sweet, sweet attic time. Yeah, that they, sweet, sweet attic time. And I think he had Stockholm Syndrome or whatever. I want to know how she got him into the attic in the first so place. So are you going to say that you think that the reason that the the detail about the son dying is because that's why she went after the little guy in the attic? Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, she was. So what was so, she doing with the son? What she, do you, is that? What well, the you son? Think? Went, no, no. I think that that uh, in her mind, her love life became a vehicle for repressed parental express love she couldn't give to her child because her child died. Like she lost the child, and so she became maternal in her romantic obsessions with with men. I think that's what it was about. That she made a little sex slave out of this guy because this part of her had been stulted. But I don't. Th- I, they didn't even say how young the son was who died. Like that. That was and what I wanted. All the more other men that she slept with. Well, yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the thing. Yeah. I mean, like that was the thing that I thought. I was just yeah. like, yeah. Now she was just, you know, un, unsatisfied cougar who yeah. had a bunch of money and a lot of free time and right a pool of, you know, prospects to choose from. Let's go with prospects. Let's be as nice as we can yeah. about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think she was sleeping with Flood. I think she was sleeping with the guy in the attic with Otto. She was sleeping with the producer. Mm-hmm. She was sleeping with the lawyer. Yeah, and then, she was. And then she had been with somebody for 30 years at the time of her death, so she was sleeping with him. Who like, was I, paying for everything, I might add. You know, like, yeah. 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 I, I just, yeah, I. but that was the part of it where I was like, Oh, he was such a holy terror. He was so difficult, and it's like, yeah, you you were a murderer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just it's it's the old strategy of put the victim on trial. Yeah, exactly. They deserved it. Yeah, like I, he seems like he was kind of a jerk, but yeah, like if we could kill jerks, oh my god, with impunity. Yeah, I would never get anything else done. Yeah, no, totally. I wouldn't either. Be really a busy man. I'd be one of the busier people in North America. Yeah, totally. So, so you want to wrap this one up early? So that happened. (laughs) That happened. Um, And I don't want to. I don't want to indict this. I like this series. Yeah, I love that you're. After all the bitchy things we said about these real people, your primary concern is for the aesthetic oh, review yeah. of the series. Fuck these people. <laughs> yeah, these and people jerks are everywhere. No, yeah. like that's not it. I really was like, okay, wow, yeah. that's that was really all there was well, to it. It just was such a non-story. Yeah, it was like, why did you tell? I guess it was the guess who was who was in the guy being in the attic. <laughs> Which is it, kind of odd. It said, okay, here's my bone to pick with Discovery Plus, which we only say nice things about on the show, so I'm I'm happy to go all in. I need more than a sentence describing what the episode of the show is about. What is up with that? We have been led down more wrong paths by that because we think, oh, it sounds gay, and then it's like never remotely gay. It's like a man is leading a double life, and it turns out he has a backgammon addiction or some shit, you know, and it's yeah. like, I thought he was banging dudes. Um, so I need Discovery Plus to add at least two to three they need sentences. To step up. Yeah, I need a little bit more. Right, yeah. intro. We you get a longer description of what this podcast is about than yeah. they do about um, their own program. I think some of our descriptions of what the podcasts are about are maybe too long. I think they're a little maybe, maybe perhaps a little bit too long. We'll huh. go for shorter. Do you agree, party people? Come and tell us on the Facebook page for the dinner party show. Yeah, are our podcast descriptions too long. Knows if you're ready to hit for him to shut up, because <laughs> God knows Eric never is. I'm never shutting up, so it doesn't make any difference what you say to me. I'm shutting up. I'm, I'm shutting up today. Okay. Um, so okay, so we've established that we have like an action list coming out of this episode. Longer uh, synopses on Discovery Plus. 
Let's do that. So instead of you tweeting at the phone company or the cable company or whatever legitimate grievance you have with something that's not working, let's get on some really important stuff. Well, then I'm going after Hulu about that fucking oh app my and God. their continuing refusal to post the thing about, about, Harry. about Harry. Oh, my God. I hope someone from Hulu is listening because, Jesus. That would be wonderful. They could might actually tell somebody who knows somebody who could call Disney and see if they could fix it. <laughs> but listen, we got to put out a call. We got to put out a call to action to our party people. We want more historical crime shows to talk about. This is the only one that I'm aware of, a crime to remember. Like, I yeah. don't know. Yeah. Yeah, that is, it is a fun. Oh, okay. And I'm not going to include the deadliest decade ones we've done those the the 1980s and the 1990s are allegedly both the deadliest decade according to these show titles right but we've got those we've done a couple episodes we have, of those and we have uh vanity fair confidential which yeah. can be a little bit yeah you're right. further back in time but yeah that it's not it's not lengthy now the the chicken coop murders that we did recently was that was quite a while ago what series what was show that was that I don't even know. I know. It's like if you dig in with any of them, you can usually find some cases that are older, but I like the nostalgia side of these older shows. Anyway. Well, the 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 production values of this sort of underpin the um mm-hmm. the old-fashioned. And when he says production values, he means the wigs. Of course. And not like the Tories and the Wigs from the no, British no. times. No, 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 they're they're they have their own shows. The worst Wigs I remember the worst Wigs we've ever done on this show was in a show called Red Room, where it was like they told the murder backwards, which didn't quite wash or make sense. But it was those were the worst reenactments ever. That, that was, was the, really the, that was and it was half an hour long, and it was a family Christmas murder. It was. Oh my God! And you called me. You were like, "You realize this is only twenty minutes?" And I'm like, "Oh, it'll feel much longer. Don't worry." It did. <laughs> it really did. It was like, yeah, yeah. That was a terrible show. That was a terrible show. So anyway, but we're fine. We don't need to make a wig rule here because if we did, we would rule out too much. Oh, and I don't mind it. Like, part we had a great time doing this yeah. this week. It, it's just uh, I just thought it was going to be about a cult. That's what I thought from the one sentence description. Deception in 1920s L.A. I think they even said hypnotism or something. I don't know. Maybe they were referring to her getting him to live in the attic. Maybe you just dozed <laughs> off while you were reading like, the sentence. <laughs> you shouldn't eat that brownie before this episode. I'm getting real sleepy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it had cannabis in it. So I don't think it was a young person's brownie. No, I think we wouldn't be able to remember as many details as we could. I know. Absolutely. As we did if we if it was if the, you were stoned. Yeah. So, you know, we're doing something completely different next week. <laughs> we're doing a musical variety television <laughs> show starring Cher. How? Who? How what? Are, wait, but uh, let me ask you a question. How are things going with you and Jordan Ampersand? Well, I would say that, you know, it's business as usual with me uh, and Jordan okay. Ampersand. Are you, How's that? Okay, but I'm hearing it's a little like you guys are not quite at each other's throats as you were the last time he was working I will for say us. this. What? Um, in the three months that since Jordan has come back, maybe only two, but it seems like three, <laughs> um, no one has tried to kill anyone. Oh, that's great. And I think that's for us. That's I think huge. that's real progress. So, that's huge. You know, we'll see. Yeah. No promises. Okay. All ever. right. Well, I'm glad to hear but, it. Um, but yeah, because it's not my fault he's here. No. It's, it's all I'm saying. It's not your fault. But anyway, apparently he's going to be back next week as part of the new thing. We're, it's not a new thing. We're just doing something that's not crime related. Provided. No, it's not a new thing at all. It's a part of the old thing. Yeah. But we asked our party people a question on Facebook, as we often do, and we got a lot of responses. And the question we asked them for next week, because it's back to school season, specifically in the southern parts. I think the southern states go back to school earlier, right? That's how it always felt to me. We went back in like mid-August and everybody else was going I'm back I'm always in astonished when people are like, really, you're going back to school now? But I'm also frequently astonished about, well, we're, you know, it's April. We're wrapping up school. It's like, yeah. what? Already? <laughs> no. You yeah. can't come home yet. Get off the streets, kids. I just don't know what's up. So, yeah, I I'm really the wrong person to ask about timing for school because that's not the way I remember it was different. Uh huh. 
you know, like Memorial Day, you school ended, and it started again at Labor Day. Uh-huh. And that was the way it went, and that's kind of not how it goes anymore. No, so, and when, in New Orleans, I was going back to school August 15th. Yeah, and I just do not understand that. It is 170 degrees and 100% humidity in New Orleans in August 15th. But but <laughs> my school was air-conditioned, Eric. I don't care. <laughs> it's still You still had to go outside at some point to get there, and that's just not a fair request. Yeah, that's true. Okay. Okay. Um, well, we asked our party people if they could do high school over again, what would they do differently? Would it be not go to high school? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if anybody picked that. That's a good one. We'll see. We'll see. Um, so, yeah, a lot of interesting responses. I don't know what Jordan Ampersand is going to bring to that topic, but he wanted to weigh in on this This show. is the episode Jordan yeah. Ampersand is going to be? Yeah. Jordan Ampersand went to high school? We're going to find out. We're going to find out. Maybe that's the thing he would do yeah. differently. Maybe he would not be a complete <laughs> waste of skin and All space right, no. and right. genetic he's material. He's not that bad. You make it No, out he's to actually be. much worse. You make it out to be bad. You can, you're doing a good job of working with him, and I'm glad to hear it because— um, You know what? Patronizing me is probably not going to be the best way to oh, go on this particular know. topic. You know, you know you're, you're just fine. Everything's fine. Um, everything's fine, ma'am. Everything's fine, ma'am. Well, until then and forever after. Oh, okay. <laughs> Through talking about Through that. talking about that. I realize I'm just digging myself in deeper, Can't so I'm going to shut up now. Manage that situation to my satisfaction, so I'm going to wrap up the show. But I think that sounds like a really good plan, which was what I was recommended. You are going to damage that cable. No, it's fine. My microphone he's cord so is so nervous strong. that he's trying to... I better get out of here. Disconnect his... But don't let Brandon see you doing that to that microphone no, cord. I won't. He's looking. Micro I see he's looking. Microphone cords need love, too. That's what I always say. Until then and forever after, I'm Christopher Rice. <laughs> Until microphone cords need love? <laughs> you know what? You, your tomfoolery is out of control. You're Tom Cruise. Maybe there was cannabis in this brownie. I can't well, open I one eye. I didn't eat any. So <laughs> well, I, can't open see, I just seem like I'm more out of control. No, you're always here. crazy. All right. You're, I'm Christopher Rice, for God damn it. And, and I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Fuck you. And we're trending the most boring episode of our podcast ever <laughs> because we did the most boring true crime TV club ever. Until that and forever after. All right. We already did our names part. Uh, He's still Christopher Rice. I'm, I'm, I'm still Eric Shaw Quinn. And you've been listening to <laughs> Christopher and Eric. Thanks. <laughs> This is TDPS.